The following sermon by Nelson Atwood was recorded at Noble Park Evangelical Baptist Church. For more information, please visit their website at www.noblebaptist.org.au That's www.noblebaptist.org.au We'll take your Bibles again this morning to the book of Ephesians. And working our way through this beautiful letter of Paul's, and we've hit Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. It sort of closes out the doctrinal section of the letter. And I'm just amazed at God's sovereignty and God's providence in it all. Uh, this month, we're working through this letter. We'll probably go into a little bit into next month in the letter. For those of you who weren't here last week, we are going to have a week of prayer in the first week where school starts. So it'll be February 4th to February 11th will be a week of prayer for Noble Park Baptist Church. And what that means is there'll be times we can gather here together as a church family, twos, threes, five, fifty, a hundred, all of us together praying. There will be the regular prayer meeting and some special things going on as well. What I found out this week, uh, I didn't know at all when we were, when I was planning this, is February the 10th, which is the Saturday before we finish our week of prayer, is a national day of fasting and prayer. I'm not sure who it was that actually called that or where that, where that actually came from, but I got an email from Mike Jensen of, uh, Clayton, uh, Presbyterian, and he told me, yep, there's that happening on the February the 10th. That'll also be the day that we're going down and doing evangelism in Noble Park. So we're going to go and we're going to pray and we're going to hand out tracts and we're going to pray that God will do some great things in Noble Park through us and with us. So this whole month and a little bit of next month is all about the topic of prayer and encouragement to pray. Reading through this, I thought I'd just check out what Martin Lloyd-Jones had done with this passage. And for those of you who don't know, Martin Lloyd-Jones would take a sermon and he would preach for an hour on two words or one syllable or something like that. He could just expand. As one person said, Martin Lloyd-Jones can preach the whole Bible from each verse. He would take a verse and just launch off. And he preached 17 sermons, all about 60 minutes long, on this little prayer of Paul's. Now, we're not going to do 17 sermons. I don't think I could do that. I think you have to be Martin Lloyd-Jones to be able to do that. But it tells you something of the greatness and the depth <clears throat> of this beautiful prayer of Paul. So I want to read it for you. Uh, verse number 14 all the way down to verse number 21 of Ephesians chapter 3. I'm reading from a, a different translation than I normally use. It's called a Christian Standard Version. And it's... Um, my wife very lovingly gave me this for Christmas. It is a uh, Spurgeon Study Bible. And it takes all Spurgeon's sermon notes and uses them as notes to reflect on the readings. And it's done in this new version. I found it's got a very accurate and a very good way to translate this passage. So Ephesians 3, verse 14, down to verse 21. It's, the Bible says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power 
in your inner being through his spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and height, width and height and depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Loving Father, again we come in your presence with the word of God open before us. And Father, it is our desire that you would speak to us. Father, as we work our way through this beautiful prayer of Paul's, Father, teach us how to pray. Encourage and spur our hearts on to greater prayer. Father, that we might have a deeper knowledge, a deeper grasp of Christ's love, that he may dwell in our hearts. Father, that all that we do would be to the honor and the glory of our Savior. Father, I pray, I plead with you, O God, that you would come now and speak to every heart in the room. Father, that we would hear your voice. Father, again, I pray that my voice would fall silent at the end of the pulpit, but that your voice would speak to every heart in the room. And we ask you these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Why do we pray? What's our goal our end goal in praying. Some of us pray for a, a new car or a new job or relief from sickness or a getting out of a certain set of circumstances. We all pray, but why do we do it? What's our goal? What's our motive in praying to God as we go through this Christian life? How often have you heard yourself praying and asking God to get you out of some illness, some bad situation, some difficult circumstances? Lord, get us out. Some uh, men that worked in the Soviet Union when it first opened its doors to the Christianity said that uh, Christians behind the communist curtain in communist countries we're known to pray, Lord, get us through this situation, whereas Christians in Western North American countries often played, Lord, get us out of this situation. Those over there had learned to pray, Lord, get us through. How often do we take the removal of ourselves from a difficult circumstance as an answer to prayer? Well, you know, this is God's definite work and plan in my life because he's getting me out of this difficult situation, this difficult mess that I'm in. Remember, as we read this, that Paul is writing this, and as he writes and moves his hand and makes the marks on the page, there is the constant rattle and clink of chains fastened to his wrists. He's in prison from the Lord, prison for the Lord. What if God has so much more to teach us from that difficult circumstance, which is of far greater value than merely our comfort? It's possible that God has put us in difficult circumstances. In fact, I would argue 
that God puts us in difficult circumstances that we might learn much of his grace and his love and his wisdom, that we might walk before him in a way that is even more pleasing to him. If we digress to using prayer as a means to attempt to attain, obtain everything we want, simply because we want to be just like our neighbors. They're getting everything they want by hook or by crook or whatever way they can do it. And we want to have everything they have, but we wouldn't want to do it in a bad way. So we use prayer as a means to attempt to get God to give us what we want. In other words, our neighbors getting everything they want, we just want the same thing. But rather than using dishonorable means, we use prayer and we keep punching in like, like a big uh, candy machine. Keep pushing the button to try and get what we want by praying. Listen, prayer is not about getting what I want from the heavenly bank account. Prayer is about asking and receiving from God what he wants for me to have so that he gets the glory through my receiving it. I was talking with someone this last week about their terrible circumstances of a debilitating illness. The person said that they would never have asked for it. They would never want to go through it again or more. But they'll be forever grateful to God who took them through it for the things that they learned about God and about themselves in the middle of those difficult circumstances were of priceless value. I don't know about you, but I want a deeper, more intimate, more successful prayer life. And when I say successful, I don't mean getting all the answers I want. A successful prayer life is when we receive God's intended blessings for us whether they be a new job or more cancer, or whether they be out of a difficult circumstance or to carry on in it for 30 more years. Those blessings are what God intends for us. A successful prayer life is when we receive from God's hand what He wants to bless us with so we learn more about Him more about ourselves, more about how to walk with him faithfully day by day. I want you to notice that Paul has one ultimate goal in his prayer. In verse 20, he says, Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory. That's his ultimate goal in everything Paul does. You see it in his other writings, his other prison epistles have that same idea all the way through them, threaded through them. We see it. Paul has a desire for God's glory in everything. And his prayer, as he offers it, has a goal, a motive that God would be glorified in all that he does. Now, last week we saw four great truths about prayer. We saw that our motive to pray is God's work to save souls for this reason, for all the reason of all the work that God has done to save souls and bring them in and put them a part of his body. He now bows his knees in prayer before the Father. Our motive is to pray is because God saves souls. Our attitude in prayer is humility before God. He bowed his knees before God. 
Our freedom to pray is in our adoption by the Father. We are sons and daughters of the living God. He is our adopted Father, and we come freely into His presence. Never boldly in the sense of carelessly, but freely because He is our Father. Our hope in prayer is the sovereignty of God over all mankind. And we can see there, He says... Um, He is the Father from whom every family, or more literally, from whom every fatherhood in heaven and on earth is named. He is the originating source of every person who ever was born and is alive and ever will be born. And we come and pray because He is sovereign over them all. Now I want you to notice in in our passage from verses uh, 16 to the end, Paul has three great purposes, three very specific purposes in his prayer. And in the Greek, they're headed in by what's called a hina clause. And it means in order that. So we have in verse number 16, the first one, Paul prays, in order that God may grant us, and we're going to see seven specific requests that Paul prays for. In verses 3, or sorry, 18 and 19 of chapter 3, he prays in order that we may experience Christ's love. Both the strength to grasp the immensity of it and also to know it. Not just know up here, but know and experience the love of Christ. He prays in order that we may experience Christ's love. And in verse 19, he prays in order that God may fill us up to all the fullness of God. And I think that's something that all of us would struggle to fully understand. That God would fill us up to all the fullness of God. I'm waiting. I'm just longing to get into that part of the text in my studies to really understand what Paul means by that phrase. Now, as I said, there's seven great requests. So bound up in those three purposes, there are seven specific requests that we can see. In verse number 16, the first one, he prays for God to give us from the riches of his glory. The second one, also in verse 16, he prays for God to strengthen us with power through his spirit in the inner man. But he prays for God to strengthen In verse number 17, he prays for Christ to dwell in our hearts through faith. He prays in verse 18, number 4, that we may be able to grasp the love of Christ. He's praying for specific things. He prays in verse 19, that we may be filled up to all the fullness of God. And he prays in verses 20 and 21, that God be glorified in all our doings, in answering our prayers and so on. We won't get through all seven, I promise you that. We'll just look at the two of them, the first two, and then uh, we're away next week, but Wes will be preaching. He's going to bring a message on prayer from the book of James, and then the following week we'll carry on with this. So the first one there is we pray that God may give us from the riches of His glory. In notice in verse 16, 16, he says, That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you. 
Now, Paul's concern, notice what it is. He begins with the glory of God, and all the way at the end of his prayer, he comes back to the glory of God. So the glory of God threads its way through his prayer. And what he's saying here is that God gives us according to the riches of his glory. Now, there are two ways of understanding that phrase. Both of them are valid, and both of them inform us to way in which God answers our prayers. God answers our prayers, the first way, from the wealth of His glory. And I wrestled for a couple of hours trying to find evidence for what I was quite sure is that the God's glory is the sum of all His attributes that we can see and experience. God's love. We see the glory of God's love shown to us on the cross. We see the glory of God's love in His holiness and all these other things. We see God's glory in His knowledge. We see God's glory in His wisdom. So the phrase, the riches of His glory, is Paul's way of describing that God answers His and our prayers from an inexhaustible supply. So the riches of His love is available to us. The riches of His wisdom is available to us when we ask for it in prayer. God's inexhaustible supply of grace is available. I love the fact that when you go and pray to God, He never has to say, okay, uh, hold that thought. We, we, we've got grace on back order. Uh, the angels are working hard to make more grace in the back of the heavenly workshops. And as soon as we can, we'll get that grace out to you. It might be a day or two. No, God never runs out of grace. It's an inexhaustible supply. Paul says, listen, when you pray and you seek things from God, it is his delight. It is the riches of his glory that he supplies everything out of. You remember Jesus He's walking along there and he sees a great crowd and they're all hungry. They need something to eat. What do we got? Five loaves, two fishes. Great. Give them to me. And he just starts breaking them off and handing them out. And I'm convinced that as he's doing it, his creatorial power is at work and he runs out of fish, but he just keeps creating more and creating more and creating more. There's an inexhaustible supply with him. And he could have fed 5,000 men or 5 billion men if he had wanted to. There was an inexhaustible supply for our benefit. God's inexhaustible supply of power is available to us. God's inexhaustible supply of joy is available. His inexhaustible supply of mercy is there. We go to God and we seek the things that the Bible tells us to pray for and seek for God from God, and He supplies it without any hesitation. God's supply for our needs is His inexhaustible, abundant, and sufficient supply. Is just what He says at the end of the prayer. God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or could possibly think of. You ask God for grace to get through a situation, there's an abundant supply. You ask God for more love. You ask God for more wisdom. There is an abundant supply. He hasn't run out. He'll never run out. The problem with our prayer life is not an insufficient supply on God's path. The problem with our prayer life is we have not because we ask not, or we have not because we ask amiss. 
We ask looking to satisfy our own lusts. We ask looking to satisfy our own comfort, our own desires, instead of asking for the things that God longs to give us, and they may not be the things that give us comfort. In fact, if you listen to the clank of Paul's chains as he writes, you can very easily say they may be the most difficult things that we can imagine. I remember the name of the, the first martyr in the English Reformation, R- Rogers. John Rogers, I believe his name was. He walked out to his execution. He was going to be burned at the stake. And his wife and all his children were standing there watching as he walked by. And they would not allow John Rogers to go over and embrace them and hug them and speak to them. They just let him walk by. And they had to watch from a distance as their father and the husband walked by. Do you think... For one second that Mrs. Rogers was praying, Lord, let them burn my husband at a stake. No. But God had a great purpose in John Rogers being martyred at a stake that afternoon. God had a greater purpose than anything we can imagine at the moment. And sometimes God's answer to our prayers is something that we don't want. But we know for an absolute certainty that God is answering according to his abundant supply. He is answering according to his wisdom and his grace. And the second way that you can understand the phrase, according to the riches of his glory, is this. It describes the character and manner with which God gives or answers in prayer. Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 11, If you then, being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask Him? The contrast is between an evil human and an infinitely holy God. And an evil human can give to their children good things when they ask them. How much more is God who is infinitely wise and infinitely loving give gifts to His children? And it's exactly what we need. And God is a wise Father. It's not a wise father that gives their children everything they demand. In fact, I would argue it's a very foolish father that gives his children everything they ask for. Oh, but I'm just showing them my love. No, you're showing them your responsibility, to be perfectly honest. But God, as a wise father, occasionally disciplines his children. It's not what they ask for, but it's what they need. God, as a wise father, occasionally has to withhold something from his children to teach them a lesson. Occasionally, God, as a wise father, has to put us in difficult circumstances that we might learn more of him and who he is. Jesus is saying that God, being infinitely holy, just and good, loving and gracious, gives to his children in agreement with his own character. So God who is love always answers our prayers in love. God who is wise always answers our prayers in wisdom, often wisdom that's beyond what we can understand. God who is just always gives us exactly what the circumstances require for our good and His glory. Another way to describe it is to say that what God is not 
God is not stingy and mean-spirited in his answering our prayers. God is not vindictive and nasty in the manner of his answering our prayers. God answers our prayers as an expression of his own character towards us. Paul prays that God would give us from the riches of his glory. God is glorified in us because only God has such an inexhaustible supply of all that we could ever ask for. The prayer glorifies God because there is nothing we could ever ask for that God cannot ever supply. Now, just because God has it doesn't mean that he's going to give it. In fact, he may look and say, you know, what you need, what you want is this. But what you need is far better. What I have in mind to give you is far better than what you want. Paul prays that God would give us from the riches of his glory. God is glorified that because only God could do it. God's reason for not giving what we are asking is never because he cannot supply it. He chooses not to supply because it would not be for our ultimate good or for his glory. And the call on us, brothers and sisters, again, is pray. Pray because God answers according to the riches of his glory. Pray according to scripture. Learn to read the words of Scripture and use them as a basis, as a foundation, as a guide for how we pray for one another and pray for ourselves. Pray because there's an inexhaustible supply for the answers. Pray because God answers in accordance with His own glorious character. He never gives out of step with His own character. He gives us exactly what his character and his supply and his will has determined. Pray that God may, secondly, grant us to be strengthened. Notice verse 16 again. Paul prays that all of us as born-again Christians may be strengthened with power through the mediating presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, why would Paul pray with this? Why should we pray to be strengthened? Because the reality is, even though we're a bunch of tough individualists who think we can handle everything just by ourselves, we're not strong enough. We are not strong enough in and by ourselves to grow. We need spiritual strength to resist temptation to sin. Isn't it interesting that Jesus prayed, Lord or Father, lead me not into temptation, giving us our guide to pray. In other words, don't even take me near that. Give me the strength that I can resist it and keep me away from it, even from the source of temptation. We need spiritual strength to resist temptation to sin. We need spiritual strength to resist the world's influence, to resist the subtle pull of our own self-centered nature. We need strength to put off the old man and strength to put on the new man. As Paul says in Colossians 3, we need strength to live lives that are pleasing to God. We need strength to serve God in a way that's pleasing to him. Paul prays that God may strengthen us. But the focus, by the way, is not on us who receive the strength. Rather, the focus is on him who gives it. Listen to what he says. I bow my knees before the Father that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to strengthen you. To him be the glory. So his focus, even though asking for strength for this life, is on God who supplies, not on us that receive. 
The Old Testament writers had the same idea. They said in Isaiah 12, verse 2, For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and He has become my salvation. Isaiah says, The Lord is my strength. His focus is not the fact that the Lord gave him strength, but that the Lord is his strength. And the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God in his life gave him that strength. It's exactly what Paul's talking about here. In Isaiah 40 and verse 29, he gave strength to the weary and to him who lacks might, he increases power. But beloved, there is a beautiful way that God gives us strength, provides strength for us. He provides it from an inexhaustible supply. He strengthens us graciously and kindly and lovingly. He supplies the strength necessary for us to do whatever he has called us to. Just pause for a sec. Do not run around in fear that if you start responding in faith and obedience, God will put something in front of you that is absolutely impossible for you to do. Because let me tell you, everything God puts in front of you is absolutely impossible for you to do. But the really cool thing is that God supplies every little bit of strength that we need to do that thing. The moment we begin to exercise obedience, God infuses power and strength into us to do what he's called us to do. God never strengthens us, by the way, in such a way that we no longer have need of Him. He gives us strength for this day, not tomorrow. That strength comes tomorrow. He gives us strength for this day. Why does Jesus say, sufficient for the day is the trouble thereof? To quote the old King James. What he means is, you've got troubles for this day. Don't go borrowing tomorrow's troubles because the troubles that you have for this day, God will give you the strength and the enabling in the Spirit, in the Holy Spirit, in your inner man to deal with those issues for that day. God never gives us sufficient strength that we can go for six months without a fresh infusion. He gives us new strength for every new morning. As the sun rises, God gives us more strength. In 1 Peter 4.11, Peter says, Whoever speaks, he is to do so as one is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Do you get what Peter's saying? You get called to serve. He gives you the strength to serve. He gives it in such a way that it is not you that get the glory. It's God. What a wonderful God we have. And Paul says, pray and seek that God would strengthen us with power through his spirit in the inner man. God is glorified in us when we are strengthened by him to do for his good pleasure. God glorifies himself by being the constant necessary source of our strength to live this life. But notice also the way in which God strengthens us. It's 2A there. God may strengthen us with power. Power is the means by which God strengthens us. And strengthening can come in all different kinds of ways. God could strengthen us with more grace. That would be a strengthening and an ability to walk and live this life. It would be give us more grace. God could strengthen us with deeper love. Peter calls us in 1 Peter, having done everything to love the brethren, love one another fervently. He adds more emphasis to it. How are we going to be strengthened to do that? If God gave us more love. 
But that's not what Paul's praying for here. He says that God may strengthen us with power. He prays specifically for the power of God. Now, he's already said in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. Paul says, I want you to know. I want you to know the power of God that is working towards you. The power of God that God used when he raised Christ from the dead. I want you to know that power, believer. And Paul now here is praying that we would be strengthened with that power that is working toward us. In Colossians 1, 9 and verse 11, he says this, For this reason also we have not ceased to pray for you, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. It's the same idea he's praying. He often prays similar things from one epistle letter to the other one. And this power that he is describing is the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus conducted his ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit. Bible says, Luke chapter 4, verse 36, he's, uh, he's in, the, in a temple, or a synagogue, pardon me, he's just healed somebody, and it says, And amazement came upon them all, and they began talking with one another, saying, What is this message? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. In Luke 4, verse 1, the Bible says that Jesus returned to Galilee filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus exercised his ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit. The apostles themselves testified in the book of Acts that it was not their own power by which they ministered. Listen, they say in Acts 3 verse 12, Peter says, Men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Or why do you gaze at us as if by our own power or piety we had made him walk? It was Peter saying, listen, it's not our power not some strength within us. It's the power of the living God that this man walked. And Paul is praying that we be strengthened with that same power through the Holy Spirit. But why is it we need this strengthening power of God? This power with which we are being strengthened enables us to live for Christ. We can see from Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, we need the power of God to give a witness, to give testimony. I was amazed yesterday, sitting down talking to this girl named Linda, the, the um, heroin lady there at Coles, and uh, we're chatting away, and she's asking me questions, and I'm not very bright, and I'm not very quick on my feet that way. And I was amazed at how much God just kept giving me answers, and I was able to turn the conversation back towards the Lord. She gets so close, and then all of a sudden, like the Samaritan woman, she just sort of jump across to some other topic to try and get away from the, the main point. And God just kept giving ideas to bring it back. That's not me. Couldn't possibly be me. I don't have that kind of brain. But God does that. In that moment, he gives power so that we can respond and give a witness for Christ. In Romans 9.22, the Bible talks about God's strengthening power is necessary for great endurance and patience. You're enduring a difficult circumstance? Plead with God for patience. That is a result of the power of God at work in your life. 
In Colossians 1 verse 9, we see that God's strengthening power is necessary for steadfastness and patience. Same idea. In Romans 15, 13, we see that God's strengthening power is necessary to abound in hope. How are you going to hope? Because you summon it all up? Because somehow you can kind of make, you know, work yourself into a real hopeful frenzy and now you can hope all by yourself? No, it's the power of the Spirit of God at work in us that gives us the power to hope, the strength to hope. Now all of this, you put it all together. It all tells me that it's utterly impossible to live the Christian life without the power of God at work in us and toward us. It's impossible to live this Christian life, brother and sister, without the power of God working towards you, the same power that God used when he raised Christ from the dead. And so we need to be praying for each other. We pray lots about sickness and difficulty and struggles in this life, jobs and finances. Those are all valid prayer requests. And God delights to hear those requests. But brother and sister, how much more would it be that we pray for each other to be strengthened with the power of God to possess the endurance to get through those circumstances? So we can learn whatever it is that God desires to teach us as we go through them. We see someone in a difficult circumstance and some of you are facing some hard ones. I know. And we can pray, Lord, get them out. Lord, get them out. Rescue them. Get them out. But it may be that God has a desire to take them all the way through that for as long as he desires that they might learn something. And in pleading with God to get them out, we might inadvertently try and short-circuit what God is doing in that person's life that they might grow even more in their faith and understanding. It's impossible to live this life in our own strength. We need the power of God. We need, as Paul says, I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit. Why? So we can have endurance and patience and strength to get through this life. But not just get through it. I'm convinced that when we feel the power of God at work in us, there is a joy. There is a peace that goes far beyond anything we could possibly imagine when we sense that power of God at work. And all of a sudden, the words are coming. And the ability to get through gets greater and greater. And we realize in that moment, this has got nothing to do with me and everything to do with God who is at work. Brothers and sisters, pray. Plead with God to supply from his inexhaustible supply. He gets the glory and we receive the blessing. Brothers and sisters, when we pray for God to strengthen us with power, the emphasis is on him and his power. And because of that, he gets the glory. And we get the blessing. And we get the good out of it. Secondly, or 2B, pray that God may strengthen us through his Holy Spirit. 
I said a minute ago that this is all as a work of the mediating work of the Holy Spirit to strengthen us with the power of God. God's Holy Spirit is devoted to making the presence and power of the risen Christ real to those whom he indwells. His goal, his role is to constantly point us towards the Lord Jesus Christ, to remind us of the things that God said, that, that Jesus said to remind us of who Jesus is, to remind us constantly of his glory and the cost of our salvation and the joy that we have in him. The role of the Holy Spirit is to constantly point towards the Lord Jesus Christ, to make the presence and power of the risen Christ real to those whom he indwells. The strength for the Christian life comes through the indwelling spirit. It's exactly what Paul is saying here. He's already stated in verses 13 and 14 of chapter 1 that when we believe, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. It means that he fastens us in there. He stamps us. I was watching these, these guys on TV with the, in the cattle stations branding cattle. And that's exactly what that means. It's like God takes a branding iron with the Holy Spirit and he burns a mark into us. It shows that the Spirit of God is living in us. That Spirit is the branding mark of God. It's like an engagement ring that a bride wears, promising that one day she's going to be married to her fiancé. It's a mark that shows everybody who she belongs to. The Spirit of God seals us and fills us. But he's praying also that the Spirit of God with whom we are both sealed and filled, filled may impart the spiritual power that will strengthen us for this life. The Holy Spirit's work and goal is to make much of Jesus Christ. And the reason that the Holy Spirit mediates that power to us is so that Jesus will be glorified in us. Pray that God may give us from his inexhaustible supply. That prayer is for our, for our good and his glory. Pray that God may strengthen us with power through his spirit because that prayer makes much of God and his strength. That prayer reminds us and God of our weaknesses, our desperate need. Being weak and coming to God for help, that glorifies God. Pray, brothers and sisters, for the strengthening of work of God through his Holy Spirit in our lives to glorify him. Pray to see that God may strengthen us in the inner man. Where is the strength from the Lord established in us? God strengthens us in that inner man. And what does Paul mean by the phrase, the inner man? It's the intellectual, the moral, the emotional part of man. It's the soul spirit of man that has been made alive. It's the seed of our spiritual life. It's what the Bible talks about when it says the heart. It doesn't mean boom, 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 the heart. It means the heart of man, that inner spiritual life. It's a place where Christ lives and rules and reigns over us. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 4, 16, we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. It's in the heart of man that God infuses this power that strengthens us. God's infusing us with power by the Holy Spirit in the inner man has an effect. It cheers and sustains that person through the difficulties of this Christian life. 
The Spirit of God teaches us in the inner man of the changeless, immense, knowledge-surpassing love of Christ so that even if our enemies kill our bodies, we can look through church history and see where that's happened. It's happening today in places in the world. Christians are being killed. Their bodies are being torn apart and destroyed by our enemies. But the inner man, they can't destroy. Now, the Bible tells us very clearly that God can destroy destroy the body and the soul in hell. Our enemies, the enemies of the faith, can only destroy our bodies. They can't touch that inner man, that thing that makes you, you, and me, me, that thing that makes that part of our lives where the Spirit of God dwells. God's infusing us with power, cheers and sustains us through the difficulties of this Christian life. The Spirit of God teaches us all about the changeless, immense, knowledge-surpassing love of Christ. God's infusing us with power by the Holy Spirit in the inner man, teaches us and enables us to stand firm in our faith. It enables and equips us for the work of ministry. It gives us the spiritual endurance and patience to continue steadfast all the way to the end of the race. Our external body is, is slowly decaying and corroding away. I know, I went to the doctor twice this week. It was, it was awful, right? You got to go there and they, they stick pins and needles in you and make you do this and do that. And they're telling me as I get older, this happens and that happens. And as I get a bit older, that'll happen, this happen. You're like, what's happening? I mean, the whole thing's just falling apart, right? <laughs> now, we're all dying. Don't get me wrong. Young people, enjoy your youth. Because let me tell you, from the moment you're born, you're dying. And enjoy it because one day the, the skin will all sag and, and things will go where they're not supposed to go and all kinds of bad things will happen. And it's all that decaying process. And God does not infuse that power into the external man, the physical strength man. He puts it in the inner man. Because one day we'll put off this old shell and we'll put on a new body that's made without hands that will last through all the eternity. Paul tells that in 2 Corinthians 5. That God infuses our spirit, sorry, God infuses power by the Holy Spirit into the inner man. God may give, listen, God may give our bodies to be burned or tortured or persecuted for the sake of the gospel. John Rogers was not burned at the stake simply because some people decided to. They may have decided to, but it was God's sovereign hand that allowed John Rogers to go to be burned at the stake and light a fire for the Reformation in England in the 16th century. God may allow our bodies to be burned and tortured for the sake of Christ, but every single day He is renewing our inner person. Every day He's infusing us with power in the inner man. God's giving us that power in the inner man glorifies Him. The strength to continue on this Christian life is not through external physical strength. It's not. I wish it was, but it's not. Actually, no, I don't wish it was. I'm very glad it's not because my physical strength is failing. But the renewing in the inner man is new every day. And God is infusing new strength by the power of the Holy Spirit working in your life to get you through another day of that difficult circumstance that you're in. 
How many stories have we heard of Christian men and women in greatly trying circumstances that have endured with a smile on their faces? I was thinking as I was writing that little part there, uh, Corey Ten Boom. Do you guys know the story of uh, The Hiding Place? You've seen somebody seen that story? Yeah. Uh, for those of you who haven't, very quickly, The Hiding Place is a story of a lady in, in Dutch, uh, in Holland, during the war, and her father was a devout Christian, and they saw what the Nazis were doing to Jews, and so they built a very special place. He was a watchmaker, and they built a little closet area at the back of Corey's room, and about, about yay deep, and they re-plastered it and put all bricks and everything all in front of it, so it looked like the end of the room, and there was a special spot with a hidden door. I think it was the back of like a bookshelf, and they would clear the books off and put the back of the bookshelf open, and the Jews they were hiding would dive in behind this place. It was called the hiding place. That's the story. Uh, sadly, someone betrayed them, and they were caught and sent to the concentration camps. And I, I think Buchenwald is where she was, and her and her sister. Her father and mother disappeared in the back of a truck, and her father died, I think, seven days later. He was an elderly fellow already. I think mom was long gone, and I think the brother died not long after. So Corey went into the concentration camps with just her and her sister. And her sister was an amazing believer. And Corey struggled through those months, and she was so angry at what was happening, and she was wrestling and wrestling. And her sister got weaker and weaker and weaker as the effects of the, the hard work and the poor food and the, the lice and all that stuff was going on in those concentration camps. And Corey said, at times, her sister, I wish I could remember her sister's name, but I can't. Her sister sat there on the bunk and her face radiated the glow of joy in God. So how does that happen? I get a flat tire and I'm irritated for the rest of the day, right? But she was enduring unbearable circumstances and Corey said she, she died in the concentration camp. And Corey said her face just glowed with the joy of the Lord. And she would spend time, they, they somehow smuggled a Bible right into the concentration camp, and her sister would sit around with the other inmates in their particular bunkhouse, and at night when they should have been sleeping, they were opening and they were reading the scriptures together, and they were praying together as a group of women inside that concentration camp bunkhouse. And the glory of the Lord was being shone through her sister's life and later Corey's life to all those women in that place. How did she get through it? Because she just sucked it up. And because she just had great motivational videos every morning. I can, I can, I think I can, I can, I think I can. Is that what she did? No. It was the power of God infused into the inner person in her life that gave her the strength not to get out of it, but to get through it. And the beautiful thing, of course, is Corey's sister got right through it and was ushered into eternity. I think a few weeks after her sister died, Corey Ten Boom was released on a clerical error. She wasn't supposed to be, and the week after she was released, everybody her age was exterminated, was put to death. And she came out and preached the gospel for 30, 40 years afterwards, telling that story. How do they do it? They don't do it because they just suck it up. They do it because they pray that they may be strengthened with power in their inner being through His Spirit. That's how. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we live in a fabulously wealthy, easy part of the world to live in. And that may change in a few years.
Christianity is already marked for persecution by the stands we are taking against where our society is going. Young people, listen, especially. The days that Christianity is free and coming to church is nothing more than something you do on Sunday morning are soon to end. I'm convinced of that. What will get you through? It won't be because mom and dad have great faith. It won't be because, you know, your friends all go to church because they may not. It will be because you pleading with God for the spiritual strength infused by the Holy Spirit in your inner being will get you there, will take you through, will give you strength, not for the whole journey, just for that day, and a new bit of strength the next day, and so on. Why is it so important that we be in prayer? We pray for each other these things. Because these are the things that God delights to answer. And you don't think Corey's sister glorified the Lord greatly in her weakness, in her suffering, in her sickness, in a concentration camp, sharing the gospel. As Corey said, she even loved the guards that were beating her up. You don't do that in human strength. You do that through the strength that God supplies. One final thing before we close. All the way through this passage, I've treated each of these prayer requests in a fairly individual way because there's so much that we can learn from this. And I purposely chose to do that because there's so much we can learn. But there is, in fact, a train of thought that Paul is developing through the text. Strictly speaking, that's not what Paul had in mind, a bunch of individual requests. They all flow together. They all have one driving point and purpose, purpose to glorify God, but there's something else. He prays, as he does, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts by faith. He prays that we're strengthened with a purpose, that Christ may dwell in our hearts. And then he builds on that and he says that, by faith, sorry, building on that, he prays that we may be rooted and grounded in love. And then he builds on that and he says, I'm praying that we may have strength to grasp Christ's love, the immensity. And then he builds on that and says, not only do I want you to grasp and comprehend what the love of Christ is, I want you to know it. So each prayer is, there is great application in broad sense for how we can use that as a way to learn to pray. But there's something even more. Paul is praying with a very specific line of intention. I want you to be strengthened with power in your spirit, sorry, in your inner being, through the spirit, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that being rooted and firmly grounded, you may grasp the immensity of the love of Christ and know the love of Christ and even beyond all that. If that wasn't enough, he says, I want you to be filled up to all the fullness of God. It's, it's like he started driving with the gospel message way back in First Ephesians 1, and he's been building all the way through and developing this theme, and now he hits the high point of the doctrine of salvation. I want you to be filled up with all the fullness of God so that God may be glorified in everything. Brothers and sisters, what is your prayer life like? What do you spend your time praying for? 
Is it wrong to pray for sore toes and broken backs and new jobs and all those sort of things? No, it's not wrong. It isn't. But is the emphasis in Scripture on those things? And I would argue that it's not. I'd argue, in fact, as you read the prayers of the great men and women of God through Scripture, the emphasis is not at all on that. I think I counted one time that Paul prays about being released from his chains. In all the prayers of the New Testament that Paul prays, of all the things he prays for, only one line is given to get me out of these chains or get me through it. Brothers and sisters, we need prayer. We need prayer for each other. When I think about the inexhaustible supply that God has for us to strengthen us and get us through this life, that Christ may dwell in our hearts by faith, and we're so quick to put down our Bibles and pick up some other book, or put down our Bibles and, in personal confession, pick up my phone or my Mac, play some game, Spend some time in a, in a pastime. Yeah, there's value in that. I'm not saying there's not. But how quickly we put prayer down below all those other things. In reality, brothers and sisters, I bet you, if you went through your, your day, your week and your schedule, and all the things you spend time in, I would be willing to argue that you will almost always choose to put something of time and space above the priority of prayer when you choose not to pray. I'm only saying that because I can see it in my own life. I find time to go to the gym. I find time to ride my motorbike. I find time to all kinds of things. But how quickly do I put aside prayer? And how greatly do we need it? And I don't mean just praying for me and you praying for you. I mean each of us praying for all the other ones. We are in this life together as a body. We need each other's prayers to spur each other on, to give, to call down the strength of God for each other to make it through this life without failure or abandoning the faith. Brothers and sisters, pray. Make the time. You'll never find it. Make it and pray.